Hello, everybody, and welcome to Just the Cheese, Please. I, of course, am Tara J, and I'm here with my co-host, Adam. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. And we have a very special guest with us today um, from our, our uh dysfunctional family, I guess, of sorts, of <laughs> Rat Salad Network at Lou Mavs. Welcome, Lou. Ladies and gentlemen, how do you? <laughs> We're glad to have you. Lou also has his uh, own podcast, Music is Life with Lou Mavs, and he's also on the Rat Salad Network, so go check that out. So how's everybody today? I feel like it's been a while. Well, this is my first time. <laughs> <laughs> so um, today we are talking about Toxic Avenger, um, directed by Lloyd Kaufman in 1984. Um, a little different from what we usually do here. We don't usually do trauma films, but they definitely they definitely have their own cheesiness. So it, it goes along with the theme for sure. Oh, it, it hon, it's Mortendella, mozzarella, and polio all wrapped up into one. <laughs> it definitely, it's definitely cheesy. Um, but we have not done a trauma film yet on this show. So this is going to be interesting. This was Lou's pick. And as the guest, we let him choose the movie. So um we're going to let you get started with your, you know, your, what your take on this. I know you do have a history with trauma films. You really, really like them. You enjoy them. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I don't just love them. I actually interned for them at right. one point. So this was summer of 98. I just graduated high school and it was the summer right before I started at St. John's university. And I was enrolled as a communications major and I thought, you know, it'd be cool if I could just get my foot in the door and get some experience under my belt this way. It's like when I go into college, you know, I'll have a better preparation. I'll have some kind of knowledge. So I knew that Troma's original headquarters was on 733 and 9th Avenue in Hell's Kitchen. And I grew up in Astoria, Queens. So I actually went to the Troma building and asked, are you accepting internships? And they said, sure, we're always accepting production assistance. We're actually in the middle of doing a film this summer. Would you be interested in joining? And I said, sure, no problem. I didn't ask them what the pay was, but I'm glad I did because there was no pay in it to begin with. <laughs> um, it really was an internship then. It really was an internship. And I tell you, I learned a lot about uh, pre-production into a film. And at the time, I was, I was working part-time to pay for books for college. So when it came time to actually shoot the film, uh, the film is Terra Firma, by the way, which was released uh, in 1999, 2000, around that time. When it came time to actually do production on the film, this took the entire month of August and it was shot in uh, Greenpoint, Brooklyn and at Pratt Institute and also with some shots in New York City. But I didn't realize that I had to be on location every day at a certain mm -hmm. time and I couldn't take time off my job. So I ended up having to leave right before production started. Oh. But the experience was really cool. I learned about making phone calls, doing press kits, uh, learning about script revisions and things like that. So in, in, a, in a way it was film school outside of film school. Right, and right. I actually ran into Lloyd Kaufman at the 2016 Comic-Con and he remembered me and we actually, uh, struck up a nice conversation. I have a photo with him on my Instagram. And, you know, the man is nuts, but he's a visionary <laughs> and I respect the hell out of him. So. He's definitely interesting. Did they actually have, didn't, because I remember I went, I lived in uh, Queens for a while like after I graduated from St. John's where we know each other from. 
And um, I, I kind of remember there being a studio there. Was that, that wasn't them? They moved to Long Island City in okay. 2011. They okay. sold the original Troma building in Hell's Kitchen and they purchased the new one. Uh, this is on 3640 11th Street in Long Island City. Okay. Yeah, I live like right on the border of Astoria and Long Island City. Really? So like basically like down the road, like I was like right by the East River. So like mm-hmm. down the road was Long Island City and literally like down up the road was, was Astoria. So it was right there. But I feel like I remember seeing like Kaufman Studios like on one of the signs or something like to get off. Okay, so Kaufman Studios, that's been around since the early, tw- early 20th century. Oh. The, the lot that you're thinking of is actually where um, the old Paramount films were shot, including oh, okay. the first two Marx Brothers films, The Coconuts and Animal Crackers. Okay. And that is actually where they shoot Sesame Street right now. Oh, so Kaufman awesome. Astoria Studios and Troma Films, it's not the same Kaufman. It's not the I same thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not if we're talking about Sesame Street and, you know, some of the things that this guy does. So, nope, all right, nope, well, thanks nope. for clearing that up for me. <laughs> I did not realize that. But I do remember the sign going to Manhattan, going into Manhattan, seeing that sign a lot, you know. Yeah, I made, you know, I made the same um, con- confusion. I, I was confused about the same thing as well. Until I realized, no, Kaufman is union. Trauma is not union. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Um, so this is the first time I have seen this movie. I thought maybe I had seen it somehow. And I don't know how I hadn't seen it. I'm going to film school, hanging out with, you know, you and other people that love trauma films that we, you know, we knew in, um, in school. So I, but you definitely remember, you don't forget this, but I did see the play when it was on like off Broadway and it was really it was actually very funny. And this was pretty, this was pretty funny in some ways, like some parts of it, some parts are incredibly disturbing. <laughs> and there's definitely a lot of stuff that you could never, ever, ever do now. Like there's just no way that you could get away with it. You know, obviously the girl, the blind girl is very funny. I don't remember what, I don't really remember her name. I think Sarah, right? Is her Sarah name? was her name. Yeah. She's hilarious. Um, the guy Bozo or whatever his name was, it's like he's, uh, Bozo, yes. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of like the the actual human uh, version of Tweak from <laughs> South Park. He's just like <laughs> like freaking out all the time. I was like, this guy reminds me of Tweak. <laughs> um, so there were definitely some funny parts, some incredibly disturbing parts. But uh, Adam, what did you what did you think? Had you had you seen this before or no? No, no. This is one of those movies that is sort of knew a lot about um, just through osmosis, you know, through growing up through that age and having friends who were sort of into trauma films, but I had never actually seen it, never had a real desire to see it, I guess, <laughs> um, because I kind of knew what it was, right? I mean, this movie did not surprise me at all. It was the exact tone I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm glad that I saw it, but I probably would not seek it out again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> Um, well, I guess let's start from the beginning. Um, the first, my first thought was it kind of seems like an 80s dating video when they're showing, they're like, this is Marv Melvin or whatever. You know, they're kind of talking about it, but like the voiceover. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it was just kind of goes into the weirdest gym I've ever seen in my life. It was just what, I, I don't know what was going on in that gym. It was very strange. Like Tromaville sucks. The people are terrible. <laughs> they are the worst human beings ever in this place. 
So yeah, we've got this like super weird gym where all kinds of very strange things are going on. There was there's people jump roping in the there's people jump roping in the aisles, people kickboxing in the corner. Yeah, and like wearing like little teeny tiny banana hammocks. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's two, there's two guys in the speedos. I mean, it was just people are smoking cigarettes as they're working out. It was just a, a lot of weird a lot of weirdness going on. It helps with the breathing. Yeah, obviously. Open, <laughs> open up those lungs, you know, while you're doing those pull-ups for sure. So uh, uh, before I begin, I just want to say um, I did see the Toxic Avenger musical with the late, great Nick Cordero in the role of Melvin Toxie. Mm-hmm. And that was the only time I got to see him uh, in Hell's Kitchen at the uh, New World stages. Yeah. Mind you, Hell's Kitchen today is not what Hell's Kitchen was back in the day. So Hell's oh, Kitchen yeah, today no. has been very Disney-fied. Mm-hmm, but, for sure. you know, he was phenomenal. And it's a shame that we lost him in uh, early 2020. So rest in peace, Nick Cordero. Yeah, so this film was shot, parts of it were shot in Brooklyn. Parts of it were shot in Boonton, New Jersey. And the last part of the film, the end of the film, was actually shot in Staten Island. That makes sense. So they kept it very tri-state. All the actors are New York actors. Some of them have never acted before in their lives. You don't and say. And some of them have never acted again <laughs> since then. Surprise. Wow. You know, it's funny. I, I agree with Tara that uh, the blind girl was uh, actually really funny. I thought she was really good in it. Andre Miranda. Yeah, she was uh, She was great. And, you know, she played it with a uh, an innocence mm-hmm. and a certain kind of over-the-top <laughs> je ne sais quoi yeah. that uh, came off as adorable and not annoying. Because, you know, like in a lot of 80s films, the... Um, the protagonist girlfriend kind of comes off as like the, how do I put it? The damsel in distress. And right. it comes off as kind of like, oh God, not again. But, you know, this time, you know, she was funny. She was independent. And sort of she, and it was great that she <laughs> fell in love with Toxie. Well, independent to, to a point. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Rest in peace, Gary, the dog. <laughs> oh, you know how I am. I was like, no. <laughs> don't worry really I, I, I know the trick to that but we'll get to when we talk about the taco <laughs> scene but anyway the um the way lloyd kaufman approaches the city of tromaville is a very stan brackage type mentality you know it's like it's supposed to be like any town usa and it's his own world created of these silly over-the-top characters some lovable a lot not as we'll get into the film. Mm-hmm. And not, yeah. his his key to um, shooting his scenes, fill the scene up with as many people as you can that are willing to work with free, work for free just to be in a movie. Because <laughs> then it looks bigger than what it really is. And he's pretty, and I think the budget I read was like 500,000. Mm-hmm. He's yes. really the master of making something out of nothing he i mean he can really do a lot on on a really that's a you think about movies that's an incredibly small budget that is so crazy that i mean not that it looked so great but there was some you know i was like this is pretty decent for that that amount of money honestly so yeah the the production value was actually impressive considering the budget we've done a lot we've done a lot of movies that had less production value and had bigger budgets and were backed by bigger in the millions absolutely for sure so, I mean, I was looking for boom mics. I was looking for reflections. I didn't see any of that. The cinematography was good. I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of centralized faces looking down the barrel of the camera, but I assumed that that was more of a stylistic choice mm-hmm. more than like just a, you know, um, 
not knowing how to frame shots because it seemed like the cinematographer knew what he was doing. Sound design, I thought, wasn't great, but I also think maybe that may have been stylistic choices rather than, uh, you know, um, budget issues. You could tell a lot of the sound was on in post, and it was it was mm-hmm. obvious, like very obvious, especially his voice. Right. Because I didn't understand what was going on at first when they, after he turned into Talk Like Avenger, I didn't understand what what his voice was because he's like <sighs> making all these like horrible monster noises and then he's like oh well don't be afraid of me I'm like what <laughs> so it's like wait can people hear maybe they can't hear him maybe he's just thinking this in his head but no they can hear him and that was weird so I don't know what the choice what, what the reason was behind that choice really it kind of that part threw me off a little bit well I know I, th- I think I think that was on purpose I think the juxtaposition of his Monster noises and his very proper speaking was yeah, like, it's like perfectly speaking, kind of funny, you know. Um, but it just it was very clear where the the loops dialogue or the ADR was, as opposed to where the the dialogue was caught live or the sound was caught live. So I don't know if that was also on purpose or if that was just a production issue. That was on purpose. Okay. Oh, was it? Well, because a lot of the screaming was definitely done. You can see. I mean, they pre- the people's expressions didn't match what was coming out of their mouth. You know, so a lot of times when they were yelling, where they were like, "Oh, leave me alone," or whatever they were saying, like, but they were like their mouth didn't match what they were saying. So, like, like you could tell a lot of it was done in post for the sure. The biggest joke about trauma films is consistency. Is that they never seem to do well with the c word, and that c word is continuity. and they've actually addressed this in the film terra firma it's a very funny scene but that's a 90s film we're not talking about that (laughs) so yeah so we have uh this guy melvin who's getting picked on and they're just so terrible and i know it's bullies and it's the 80s and i feel like people are i don't know if people are meaner or what but like in movies they always show people are so horrible and i you know you feel bad for this little doofy guy and apparently he didn't play toxic avenger it was like a different guy right it wasn't the same actor. It was not. The yeah. uh, actor he all of a played... sudden got really tall. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, did you think that was the same guy? I mean, I didn't, I didn't know that they would change him, but obviously it was not the same guy. You can't make a hideously deformed creature of superhuman size and strength out of someone who's five foot five unless you replace him with someone who's six foot three. Yeah, so, he was definitely taller. So Mark Torgel uh, was the actor who played little Melvin. And after the transformation... Mitchell Cohen took over the role of Toxic Avenger, and the voice was provided by an actor named Ken Kessler. The only other film I know that he did was a film, I I think uh, he was involved with a film called um, Red Zone Cuba, which was actually on an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. I'm sure it was. <laughs> it had to have been. It was one of the dumbest films I've ever seen about the, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, but I digress. Anyways. Um, but yeah, so actually, I think, because I looked, I did look it up because I I didn't feel, I was like, this guy can't be the same person. Um, and apparently the guy who played Tox- the Toxic Avenger was also in Clerks and part of the Angry Mob. <laughs> And also, I think he was the guy who, um, when Dante pokes his head out the door, says, hey, try not to suck any D on your way home. And he walks away and follows. And the guy follows. Is that him, too? That's supposedly (laughs) him. Okay. Yeah, I don't really know. I I didn't really know what he looked like. But um, when I looked up who it was, it said that he was in Clerks. And I was like, he was in Clerks. And then they they showed, like, the one still of him, you know, banging on the door when the the store was closed. Yeah, I I don't know if it's the same guy, but... So you're introduced to these two characters, Bozo and Slug, I think it is. Yes. Slug kind of looked like Corey Feldman to me. 
I thought he looked like a doofy Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. So, <laughs> but the first thing they say about Melvin is that they don't like the way he's mopping, right? And that they're super tweaked out. What was it? No, you, you were right, though. It sounded he's, like tweaked. He's, yeah, he was he's like, like, he's stressing me out. Stress, stressing everything out. was stressing him out. He was always stressed out, freaking out about and like making crazy noises and just being like, ah, like he was so, I, I was so happy. I'm like, please kill this guy. I can't take it. He's he screwing was, up his karma. <laughs> Stupid. But did not have like Xanax back then or something. That's what I was, that's like literally what I was like. These guys all need a freaking Xanax. Like they need to calm down. This is insane. That's the trauma aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> they were incredibly annoying. So they're mad at him mopping and they're yelling at him about something that's really ridiculous. So they, 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 one, two of them go back to the locker room to have sex. I think it's Slug and his girlfriend, right? The most awkward sex I've ever seen in my life. Yes. I didn't <laughs> so know you cringy. could get somebody off by dry humping them. It, was, it wasn't even, it was just so, oh my, I was like, please make this stop. And everyone has bad tan lines too. Oh, what yeah. is up with those tan lines? What is that? Sorry, so that's 80s. <laughs> yeah. So Melvin walks in on them, right? And they're like upset at him. It's like you're in a public place. So Yeah, like you're having sex literally like in, in, in a locker room. And she pulls a switchblade on him. But where was that switchblade? Because she was practically naked. Oh, you don't want to know where <laughs> <I was hidden. laughs> I Don't. I didn't even think of that. It's true. You know, the funny thing is about the actors who played uh, Wanda and Slug, they ended up getting married in real life shortly oh, after that they? film. And then they got divorced in 1999. So, well, I mean, it lasted a while though. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a good run. I mean, they made out the entire time. I guess. <laughs> I guess they were really feeling the chemistry. Oh, he was definitely feeling something, and uh, <laughs> I guess that won him over. <laughs> but yeah, those those four are just absolutely horrible. I mean, they're doing this points thing where they they run people over and they're you know killing people. I mean, you know, they run over that kid. You don't in movies. You're always like, oh, they're not going to kill a kid. Uh, no, <laughs> they did. Should mm-hmm. we talk, should we talk about this point system, or should we just let it go? Let's not talk well, about what was said in the point system. Yeah, see, that's what I was thinking of that. I was like, I probably shouldn't say anything about it, but there's certain people and certain, you know, things that can, that are, you know, more points than others. And they're so into it. You know, they're like just really sick, screwed up people. And they're, they're very into it. But they they do have an American flag in their car. So at least there's that, right? Oh, of course. At least they're, and the guy was going to church. He had to get up early to go to church. So, you know, he kills children. He runs over children with his car, but, you know, he's going to church. So it's all, we're all good here. How old are these people supposed to be? Are they in high school or are they in college or what? I think they're supposed to be in their 20s, right? I mean, I assume. Essentially, they were in their 20s when they shot the film. I think it's safe to say that maybe they're in their early 20s, uh, the characters. But yeah, no, they, that's the thing about um, Lloyd Kaufman with characters that are supposed to be evil. It's very black and white with who are the bad guys and who are the good guys. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, well, it, I, it's, I remember being like how because they show the headlines about this hit and run killers who have not been caught. And I'm like, how are these people not getting caught? They get they're screaming at the top of their lungs, they stop the car, they get out, they take pictures. They get out of the car. Oh, and yeah. they've got, they've got like um, construction paper cutouts of all the people they've killed, like on the side of the car. Their tires are probably all bloody. How are these people not smarting the cops? Because at this point, you haven't met the cops yet, so. <laughs> this is you true. Know, you don't you know. know who's running this town yet. <laughs> yeah, so that's another issue. But yeah, I just, I couldn't believe that, that um, there was this, these kids running around killing people and so badly, so non-discreetly. Because I, I still was assuming that a lot of this made sense, that the, the people in this film, at least 
weren't just all caricatures of, of somebody. So I don't know. I just thought that was strange. But again, you meet the cops and it kind of all makes sense. Yeah. And by the way, that was a cassava melon, I believe, filled with caro syrup and anything they could find at the craft services table to make the effect look as bad as it did. And I think the fact that it was shot on grainy 35 millimeter at night. Oh, the head, you mean the boy's head? Uh, it was effective. Oh, you know, it was pretty It was pretty gross. I mean, there were some scenes in there that we were kind of discussing. It wasn't as gross as I thought it was going to be, but it was pretty, I mean, it was, it was gross. Well, for 1985, I could see how uh, people could be affected by it. I mean, you know, th- this was a decade where Dawn of the Dead had already been released. Evil Dead was rising in popularity. New Line Cinema was releasing Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think Lloyd Kaufman, you know, the basis for the Toxic Avenger was that him and Michael Hers read on in an issue of Variety magazine, the horror film is dead. And at the time, Trauma was known for sexy comedies. They had four films mm-hmm. that were out and they were Squeeze Play, Waitress, Stuck on You, and The First Turn On. So they figured, well, let's make a horror film, but let's involve elements of our sexy comedies in here as well. So that this way, it's like we can come out with our own brand. And it was actually a formula that worked for them from the early 80s up until the end of the decade. I didn't know that they did stuff. I didn't realize that. Every time you say sexy comedy, it makes me think of Stewie and sexy parties. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was like trying not to laugh while you were talking. <laughs> well, that's what they comedies. call them. No, I, mean, I know. <laughs> it, just, it just made me, it made me giggle. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't know that they had, that they had those kind of, I always thought that they were all kind of just gross, like Toxic Avenger. I really don't know much about trauma at all. Well, I could give you an entire uh, uh, biography on them, but uh, I don't want to bore <laughs> anyone. So, you know, so I, I'm purposely sticking to the film. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, um, we cut to two people driving toxic chemicals, right? Who just have Ziploc bags full of white powder, but cocaine, an insane yeah. amount of white powder. Yeah. Is it supposed to be cocaine? I'm assuming so. I mean, they have like they have it all over their faces at, that, at one point. So I'm they're assuming just, it's cooking. they're just sticking their faces in the bag, <laughs> like and just huffing it right out of the bag, and it's getting all over their faces. Sweet and low. <laughs> but they did they did pull over to do it, which was very thoughtful. Well, it was very, it was responsible. very responsible. Yes, they're driving uncapped, but like barrels of toxic sludge. There's no caps on these things at all. They're just open, bubbling over. Yeah, and they're on they're on this huge truck. And, but at least they pulled over to do their cocaine. But they pull over in front of this health, uh, this gym, right? With um, health club, which is really the central point of most of the movie, at least the early parts of the movie. Seems like that's what everybody, like everyone spends all their time there. That's just, they just hang out at the gym. Cause you were asking how old they were. I was like, well, they're definitely not in school because all they do is go to this gym. The reasoning was because aerobics and gyms seem to be taking over uh, a big part of uh, cities in the United States. And the original title of the film was called Health Club Horror. Mm. And uh, okay. you even notice at the end of the copyright, 1984 Trauma HCH Inc. Mm-hmm. So the HCH stood for Health oh. Club Horror. So that was the working title. Oh, interesting. Okay, for the film. cool. So, but while the, the toxic sludge truck is parked outside, they decide to pull a prank on Melvin. Now, Melvin didn't deserve a lot Poor of- Melvin. Yeah, I mean, he didn't deserve a lot of what happened to him, but a couple of things- 
he really was creeping on them when they were playing racquetball for no reason. I don't know what he was doing pressed up against the glass. But <laughs> that I mean, was he's a funny a little, image, though. He's a little simple. You know, obviously, you know, they're portraying him as probably someone who's got some, you know, disabilities or whatever. But again, like one of those things that you just like never do anymore. But they, they're just mean to him, though. They're terrible to this poor guy. I feel bad for him. Like he's he's definitely strange, but <laughs> he doesn't deserve that. I didn't I didn't like that. So who, who wants to describe the transformation scene? Well, I guess, I, I mean, I can go for it. So they play this horrible trick on him. And the girl, the blonde girl, I don't remember. I don't, like, again, I'm really bad with names. The blonde girl is. That was um, Julie. Okay. So Julie is like, oh, I, I need to talk to you. So they, she lures him in to the back and then turns out the lights and then, you know, get puts a wig on a sheep. I don't know where in the hell they found a sheep in the middle of the city <laughs> and brought it into well, she, makes him, she makes him put on leotards and a pink tutu. Like a pink tutu and a leotard, mm-hmm. right? Which he has on the whole time, which I absolutely adore that. It's the best that they keep that tat- the, tat- the tutu on him. And then, like, he, I guess they put lipstick on this poor sheep. And I'm like, only thing I can think, of course, I'm like, I hope they were nice to the sheep in real life. <laughs> and then he's running away and they're all laughing at him. And he jumps, he jumps, falls, I don't know, whatever, out the window and directly into the toxic sludge. Mm-hmm. Now, why did they make it? him jumping out the window and not being thrown out. Because in my opinion, it's his own damn fault. They played a joke on him and then they were chasing him. It's not like he did anything wrong and they were chasing him and going to beat him up. They were just laughing at him and he jumps out a window. You know what I mean? Like why, yeah. why not have it not be anything to do with his, his fault? Why, why not have them throw him out? Or why not have them chase him? Cause he did something wrong at least. So you're at least in fear of his life. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, it's, I just, I was, that's why I was like, I don't know if he jumped out or if he, accidentally fell out but i mean yeah he wasn't tossed out it would have made a little more sense i think if he was kind of thrown well if he didn't jump in the sludge we wouldn't have a movie we wouldn't have I, anything to talk about <laughs> you know of course exactly but i just feel like it's you know like what adam said like i feel like that they sort of made it so that he just i mean maybe he was just so scared and so freaked out he just didn't know what else to do and he just ran like he just jumped out the window which obviously is not a very wise choice i don't think many most of us would make that choice but he did <laughs> well, I mean, and here and here and here we are so you know well, if you look at the scene where they're chasing him down, he's running down a corridor with nowhere else to go. So in a moment of panic, yeah, you could see leaves. why he would have done that. But you're right. Any realistic person would have said, why not just run out the front door? <laughs> yeah, because I don't think the pool was on the second floor, right? He ran upstairs at some point. Or maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure about the way. They layout, never show but... you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As, as you know, as someone who doesn't know very much about architecture engineering, I would imagine that the pool should probably be as close to the first floor as possible. <laughs> close to the ground. <laughs> I would yeah. agree. Okay, so. Um, so, yeah, he falls into this sludge and he's getting burned. I mean, this is toxic, you know, toxic sludge. So he's getting burned and his skin's kind of bubbling and the everybody's gathering around. They're laughing. I mean, again, these people are just the worst kind of people in the world. They're laughing. If it was time now, people would have been with their phones, you know, taking a picture of him instead of helping him. So he's writhing around on the ground in pain and the police come over and they touch him and, and the guy's hands go up in flames, which mm-hmm. doesn't really make a lot of sense considering, I mean, he does burst into flames later, but he was, if I don't, I didn't really understand. So he's got all this stuff on him, but he's not on fire and the cop touches him and his hands go on fire. I mean, right. Am I, am I right? right I don't but, know. Then, but then when he starts running down the street, he does catch fire. He does, but he's not on fire at the time when the when the police officer touches him. So I don't really understand why his hands burst into flames. But he goes and he runs. He's he's you know he's on fire. He runs home. We I guess you know we, the next scene is his mom like, hey, you're okay, Melvin. And I have to say that 
transformation scene was entirely too long. It was just went on and on. And I was like, okay, we get it. We know what's happening. Can we just move this along? It was just, it just went on a little too long for my liking. I could see that. But I mean, for me, having watched the film as many times as I have, and that's a lot, um, <laughs> I really have to credit Jennifer Aspinall, who was the, uh, the special effects person yeah. uh, behind, the, behind the monster hero itself. Um, I thought she did a phenomenal job. And she actually went on to bigger things later on. I think she actually even did makeup for Saturday Night Live. Yeah, no, it was great. I actually was impressed with the special effects, to be honest. I thought they were pretty good. I didn't I didn't expect them to be that good. Honestly, I was I was pleasantly surprised at that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And this is at this point is, I think, right around where. Well, first, he gets thrown out by his mother. Or his mother, not thrown out, but his mother he, freaks out. He leaves and then he tries to come back and she doesn't recognize him and she freaks out. Yeah. Correct. And I think this is where you start to get introduced to the cops and the mayor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the mayor is somebody, I don't know if you recognized him, Tara, but I looked him I up. was trying to figure out where I knew him from. And because he isn't usually that fat, I don't think. And he, but his voice was very familiar. He had a very nice voice and I was trying to place it who is it? Because it was driving me crazy. He was in the film Mannequin, I think, right, Adam? Yes, he was the pizza guy who fires him and was chasing oh, him out. Oh, stop it! That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it. What do I think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh exactly. my goodness, that's so funny. I don't. I was, but I kept. Is that the only thing he's from that I would know? Because I really, I kept saying, I was like, why do I know this guy? Why do I know this guy? Maybe it is just from that. He was also in the films Class of Newcomb High, which is the next trauma film after this. And he was also in another film called Street Trash. So he was really big in the New York City independent film. Um, uh, He was very big in that world. He was a very uh, in-demand actor because of his height, but uh, not height, because of his size, but also because he was, I thought he was, he, he was a very good actor. Uh, R.L. Ryan, also Pat Ryan, that those are the names he went by. He unfortunately passed away in 1991. Oh, so. wow. He must have been pretty young. Yeah. Um, yeah, and one kind of thing I think, I mean, I, I think that Lloyd Kaufman is a very clever person, and I think that I like that he kind of does little things here and there that, you know, you pick up on. Uh, one of the things being, I thought it was funny, it said, and it had a picture of the mayor, and it said, re-elect mayor, whatever, for a healthy Tromaville, and you have this guy who's like 400 pounds in there. It's like not the picture of health, you know, but I just, I like that Lloyd Kaufman. Like I like the little things that he does that he puts into the movies. And they, he's the, the mayor's dirty and the cops are dirty and they're just talking openly about how, I don't know, the toxic Avenger or whatever it is that, uh, Oh, here's your drug money. And it's just like a Brown paper bag. And he's like, thanks for the drug money. Like they don't go into details about how the operation works or anything. It's just about just just there to show you that the mayor and the cops are dirty. That they're bad. Yeah, exactly. I just love that they're giving them pre-filled syringes. It's like, oh, how nice of them. They already put the drugs in the in the needles for you. Here you go. There is no room for exposition in trauma films. Yeah. But um, we actually did skip the scene in Shinbone Alley where we first meet. Oh, right. Uh, yes. Where we first cigar meet. face with uh, Knuckles and uh, the uh, oh, I forget the other character's name. And uh, we actually meet the one good cop, O'Malley, mm-hmm. who uh, they try to pay him off and he refuses. So they try to kill him mm-hmm. as a result. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and you don't see his face, comes Melvin as a toxic Avenger 
bashing their head. Oh, Nipples was the guy's name. Nipples. So Knuckles and Nipples. <laughs> well, he's, he's about Sorry. to shoot the cop's dick off. Yeah, right? that's true. <laughs> and um, all of a sudden, Toxie comes out of nowhere and throws Cigar Head by his head into a nearby garbage can, disposes of Knuckles and Nipples by, uh, let's see, uh, punching in Knuckles' nose. Mm-hmm bashing their heads together where you see their heads explode. <laughs> he loves those heads explosions. Head yes, explosion. he does. And he gets rid of Cigar Face by putting him upside down in a garbage can and punching the living shit out of his <laughs> junk. But they're not and dead. They pat- well, Knuckles and Nipples are dead by this point. Cigar Face yells, I'll get you for this, you monster. He, that's right, that's right. Yes, right. And, uh, you know, thank you to the uh, actor who played... Uh, Officer O'Clancy, I think I said O'Malley before. I'm sorry, it's O'Clancy. You know, playing the good old stereotype of the uh, Irish cop. The Irish cop, yeah. <laughs> it's a this town is a bunch of Irish cops run by a German Ger- captain, <laughs> police captain. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is interesting. And uh, you know, we're, we're, you're right. Then the scene after the uh, scene in Shinbone Alley is in the uh, uh, police chief's, uh, not the police chief. It's in the mayor's headquarters, where you're seeing the corruption right there. And, uh, you know, although not a political theme, um, the basic theme of the film is when power corrupts and as a result, you kind of poison your environment. You know, toxic people breed toxic situations. Right. And all of a sudden comes the one character who is toxic, who wants to make things right. Is actually doing the most good. That's, That's probably as political as the film gets. And what was going on in that room, I have to say. Oh, with the go-go dancers? He's got go-go dancers. (laughs) He's he's talking, and they're just kind of behind him, just doing this. It's just, I'm like, what is happening in this room? This is very odd. And that one guy, his his cohort, whatever he is, is just staring. I don't know. He he doesn't seem to be looking at the girls, but he's he's staring (laughs) off into space, and he's like, is he dead? (laughs) What is is happening in this room? It's like the weirdest scene ever. And they're, they're discussing moving the toxic waste dump so that they could use the current site to build high-rise apartments or something like that. Yeah. And they they seem to be okay with that. But when they say, when they both agree that the only place that they can dump toxic waste um, would be closer to the drinking water, that's the when water they, reservoir, yeah. Yeah, that's when they seem to get excited about this idea. <laughs> like, that's the part that made them genuinely happy. We're going to kill everybody that lives in Tromaville. Yay. I was like, okay. It's like, I guess the plan of just making money and moving dump site wasn't evil enough, but if you're going to hurt people at the same time, it seemed to be way go. more exciting to them. <laughs> well, it's just the fact that they could sell it because they're making beautiful waterfront property on toxic land. Toxic land. So, yep. you know, sell it for cheap, make profit, they die, sell it again. <laughs> yeah. Yay, cronyism. <laughs> Basically, right? So now I think we are at the taco place, right? Is that what it's called? The taco place? The, the Mexican place. Mm-hmm. Mexican, yeah. Which made me so want tacos. Like, they look so good and crunchy. Oh, man, that looks amazing. Oh, is that why you texted me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, now oh, I want tacos. Oh. Damn. <laughs> she texted me, I want tacos. I was like, where are you texting me for? I was like, okay. Because I, I was at that part of the movie, and I was like, damn it, now I want tacos. <laughs> but that's a very odd. That that whole scene is, like, super strange. Those guys. It's, it's kind of, it's. I, like I know it's trauma, but it's just <laughs> the characters and the way they dress and the way they look. It's very, I mean, it's very eighties too. Because we've definitely watched Adam and I have watched some pretty cheesy movies, obviously on the show, and um, 
it seems like people like villains like to dress up <laughs> like street villains <laughs> they like to dress in really odd costumes. And mm-hmm. this was no exception with the paint. And I just, there was so many things going on that I didn't understand. Like, why do they keep kissing people? <laughs> what was, what was <laughs> happening with this? Like, it was just so, it was so strange. And yeah. so, yeah. It's like, are you trying to be punk rock or are you trying to be like just over the top villains or you're auditioning for the band lover boy, please yeah. tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that one guy who was behind the counter just kept because they, they kept cutting to the three uh, robbers and they would all be doing something terrible. One would be doing something terrible, the other person would do something terrible. And they cut to the third guy and he would just reach over and start kissing the uh, the cashier. <laughs> it's like one guy is like gonna shoot a baby, and then the other guy is you know gonna do something terrible to another girl, and he's just like kissing this this poor cashier lady. This is just weird. You know, that actor actually threatened to walk off the set when he found out that he had to hold up a gun to a baby's head. Good. That scene was the most disturbing scene in the movie, for me, honestly. It was, yeah. there was a lot of, I think, disturbed ch- children probably on that set. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess he gave them ice cream at, at the end, but it was it was a lot of kids in bad situations. I mean, I guess it was a baby, but it was old enough to, I think, understand like a, what a gun was. You know, it seemed like- Yeah, it looked like it was, it was about three. Yeah, terrified. Yeah. Um, and I thought I recognized that actor. For some, for a split second, I thought it was Needles from Back to the Future. But it's actually another character I knew from Remo Williams, who had the diamond in his teeth. Patrick Kilpatrick, yeah. Patrick, yeah, Patrick Kilpatrick. And I tried to look him up on IMDb, but he's in like 200 films. He's had like a very long career. So I wasn't able to really scroll through and check, but he's, he did very well for himself. Are you talking about the guy with the, the face paint? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, didn't, I didn't recognize him. I think he was in the film Minority Report with Tom Cruise. So. Yeah, I saw that one in the yeah. IMDb, yeah. So he's, he's probably had the most work of anybody in this film. Well, the act, the actor who played Rico, the uh, the kissing bandit, I'll call him, <laughs> uh, he was actually, a, a he is uh, a very in-demand stunt person oh. for uh, major motion pictures. So, um, you know, doing films like this, this non-union work was just a way for them to make extra money. Um, actually, a lot of union um, people involved in the film industry would work on non-union productions anywhere from like B movies in the United States or even Italy. Uh, some of them even worked on adult films behind the scenes. Like this is just a way for them to make extra work when hmm. there were no union productions going on. So cool. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so yes, yeah, so this is the scene where we meet Sarah, mm-hmm. uh, who's a, a blind woman sitting and eating tacos <laughs> mm-hmm. and um who's the the main robber what's his name did he have a name leroy Face leroy, okay. leroy okay. no leroy no the yeah um leroy is the one who gets his arm ripped off but um he comes up and he decides that uh in the middle of this robbery he's going to sexually assault this blind woman why not and yeah <laughs> always wanted to court hold me a blind girl and he, yeah, he kept like this bitch is blind and i feel like i've heard people say that before and I, i'm assuming it's from that movie yeah um he doesn't I, I thought he was in the process of doing it but he was still in preparation when the toxic adventure comes Preparing. in. <laughs> oh my goodness. With that and one gammy arm that's hanging and like no one, I wonder if people noticed that before they realized what was about to happen. So I did not know this until I read the trivia afterward that he is a one-armed person who yes. had a prosthetic on. Oh, he is? Okay, yeah. I did not, I did not know <laughs> See, that. It's, it works, it works because I, I thought that after they ripped his arm off, he had it tucked away somewhere yeah of course that's what i was saying no he's an actual like amputee well interesting i did not i didn't know that at all 
So then we get these elaborate Mexican or restaurant themed kill scenes, I guess. After the, you know, well, first of all, they shoot this blind woman's dog, right? Do you want to talk about? I know you said you had something to say about that. So Gary, the the actor, the actor, the dog, the dog who played Gary was a trained stunt dog, and would do his favorite stunt to do was sliding across the floor. I noticed that <laughs> it slid. Up. You ne- you never see. You never see the dog get shot. You see the shot and you see, you know, some kind of like fur pelts mm-hmm. with a squib come out of it. And then the next scene after that is Gary sliding. But, you you know, you, he's not shot. He's 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 not literally shot. No, no, of course but not. He wanted to do the slide. He said, no, it makes me sad, too. <laughs> and then, you know, when they decide to uh, do a shot of the dog where he's bleeding out. <laughs> All they did was just dump uh, a pot of spaghetti with sauce on him because you could still see the dog breathing. Yeah, the dog's breathing. I saw like this thing. I, I thought maybe he was dying or whatever. I I didn't I didn't even think of that, but it was so spaghetti that <laughs> they had on the dog. But but that's the scene actually from the film more than the head crushing that got trauma the most controversy for this film because apparently they were getting death threats. How could you kill a dog on screen? He's like, we didn't kill the dog. I mean, there's there's laws against that, though, right? I mean, I, I wouldn't think that they actually killed the dog. You know what I you know No, what I'm they saying? wouldn't like, have actually. Yeah, killed so like, I, that's kind of crazy that people actually did think that. I mean, it's a movie. I, but it would be it would be a production nightmare anyway. It'd be more expensive, I feel like, and more work to try to like have multiple dogs or multiple takes. Like, it just if I'm, I mean, I know morality, yeah, sure, but I'm saying just <laughs> forget all that. You know, it doesn't matter. Just really think of the the nightmare it would be, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it would be a production nightmare because then you got to dispose of them. Trauma uh, Lloyd's uh, has been quoted as saying, and Lloyd is actually like, you know, he supports PETA, so he's actually he he's proud when he says, um, "No humans ever hurt any animals on the set of any trauma films." That does not mean that. No humans were harmed on the set by animals on trauma sets because uh, that does happen later on in a film called Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD, where the monkey actually tried to uh, bite the lead actor's face off. And then the tiger tried to eat the monkey. But, you know, you don't see that in the film. So, wow. But no, no (laughs) humans actually. Tara, I'm sorry. I just saw your eyes roll. Like, what the hell does Lou like to watch in his free time? No, it's just that's kind of terrifying. Monkeys are they're kind of unpredictable. I don't know. I wouldn't want I don't think I'd want to work with a monkey, to be honest. So, well, those actors, those actors again, those actors were actually on (laughs) were actually on loan from um not from the Tiger King, but from his rival in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And until he realized, wait a minute, you don't do good to your animals. So since mm-hmm. then, there's never been another animal on a trauma set. Oh, okay. Uh, well, uh, that's good to know. <laughs> I'm well, glad. Wow. Th- there was the one scene, but you could tell it's fake because it's a stuffed dog that they throw over a uh, uh, Niagara Falls in uh, Return to Newcomb High, Volume 1. Oh, I but you can tell it's a stuffed dog, you know. What well, I mean? Yeah, I and mean, like, there's a lot of things in this movie where you can tell that it's not real people. You know, when, like when he puts the lady in the washing machine, you know, it's pretty obvious that that's not. It's like a dummy, you know. <laughs> Obviously, so um, so yeah, so he saves the girl, and she's hilarious because she's the way she looks around <laughs> all the time. You know, 
she's blind. Like, I don't know what she's looking for. It's like, I know that sounds really mean, but why is, why is she looking around so much? Because <laughs> yeah. she's not, she can't see. It's like, you're not going to see anything. So her, just her mannerisms and just the way she, she was really endearing and just adorable and so, so funny. I really mm-hmm. liked her character. So she likes him. So she walk, he walks her home and mm-hmm. they get to the house. She's like, watch this, watch the step. And then she falls over it, which it's very <laughs> stupid, but I actually had, I laughed. I, I, I laughed out loud at that because it was, it was just funny. That was my, that's the funniest part of the movie for me. That was <laughs> the funniest part of the movie. <laughs> and then she has all those, well, like, you know, walking cane, like the canes. <laughs> she's got, like, I don't know why she has so many, Yeah, <laughs> like 50 of them. And she picks one up and she's like, you can sit. I don't know. It's just very funny. And then she hits him with it by accident. And, but it's funny because he's, you know, this tough guy when he, you know, he hits, she hits him in his balls and he's like, oh, oh. but he's getting, you know, punched and kicked and all these things. And he can't, you know, he's not, it doesn't affect him, but that one little stick in the balls, that was it. But I feel like he doesn't want to make her feel bad. So he's trying to like, not, not wince in pain or let her know. Mm-hmm. And he's like, do you want something to drink? And he's like, yes. <laughs> but later on, um, she, well, he won't let her touch her face, touch his face. Right. right, and we at this point we should mention we do not see his face for a while. Oh, that's I, right. I was I was surprised. I was like, wait a minute, are we going to see his face, or are they just going to keep it so that we don't see it? I, I was glad that we did, but it did. It was quite a while until we saw his face. Was that the decision that was made um, before the fact? Or Purposely, was, okay. That wasn't in post. They decided to. No, they uh, the way it was the way it appears on screen is the way that it was shot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So then he goes out and he starts fighting more. Uh, villainous street thugs or whatever. Well, oh, he's he's on the side of the building taking a piss, right? Adam, I think I think we're cutting ahead too far because oh, okay. I think the scene after after Sarah's apartment is is the reveal. Which which is which scene is that in? Um, so that that's the scene where Wanda's in the hot tub, and um, oh yeah, it could be. But yeah, this, she's, this, 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 no, she's, she's in the sauna mm-hmm. and she's uh, in the nude and she's masturbating. What does she have the... in her hand? I thought, it, you know, now you think, oh, I thought it was a cell phone. I was like, wait a minute, this is 1984. This is not a cell phone. What was she looking at? Polaroids of the oh, kid's bloody head. Oh, and she was whacking it to that. Ew, gross. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Back into it. I apologize. Go ahead. No, no. You, you keep going. That's no. I forgot about this. <laughs> I, I actually, right. I'm glad you brought it up because I was really, it was annoying me because I didn't know what was in her hand and I, I really wanted to know. So, all right. So we'll, we'll start from here. So after Ta- Melvin, he's not called Toxie until the second film. Um, after Melvin leaves Sarah's apartment, this is when we go to, we go back to the, to the gym, to the Tromaville Health Club. And Wanda is in the jacuzzi, not the, I'm sorry. The Wanda is in the sauna, mm-hmm. in the nude, and she is pleasuring herself over photos of Skippy's dead body. Skippy's the boy that they ran over his head. Mm. So gross. And this is where we see the reveal of Melvin as a toxic Avenger. Earlier in the film, Slug went down to the sauna to trick to trick Wanda as the elephant, oh, the man. elephant man. He had yeah. the uh, blanket over his head and he walked in and he was like, I am not an animal. I am Melvin the Mop Boy. This time it is Melvin it is. the Mop Boy <laughs> yes. with the hood on his head. And Wanda says, listen, stop trying the elephant man trick. Takes off the blanket 
And this is where you see Melvin as a toxic Avenger with the one dead eye that's drooped down, mm-hmm. scares the living bejesus out of Wanda. The next thing you know, he picks up Wanda and he burns her ass. <laughs> and he on, calls her like hot ass. He's like something about hot let ass. Let this be a lesson to you, hot yeah. ass. <laughs> There's no room for nuance in these uh, in, in films. But did, and they, did they ever reveal whether she's dead? They that's actually in the outtakes. They the the film itself is about 82 minutes long. So to make it long enough for TV, they actually included clips that were not included in the film. You can actually see the film in its entirety and it's 100 minute cut. And if you purchase the Japanese edition of the DVD mm. in Japan, they actually released the film with all the edited scenes back in there. Mm. Um, what happens is she ends up turning herself in to the cops and you see her backside is all bandaged up. <laughs> because we're, um, we are to believe that the other girl is dead, right? I'm assuming he kills her in the basement, I guess they're in. In the film, yes. Okay. In the Japanese cut, you see that Julie actually lived. Oh, she Except did. she's got a really bad bald cap on. <laughs> and oddly enough, the scene where Wanda turns herself in is where Julie turns herself in as well. Okay. And that's when they start blaming each other. It was her fault. No, it was your fault. And then they start getting into a cat fight. What about the boys? Like, oh, how you saw it end was how it ended oh, in okay. the film. So, <laughs> so one got tossed out of the car and the other one burnt, got burnt up in the explosion, the car exploding, right? Is that how it happened? Correct. Okay. Correct. So after the reveal is where we get the scene where now Melvin is becoming the monster hero. This is where he's urinating on the wall. Yeah. Um, Adam, you can take over. Well, I just, <laughs> I was just, I thought that the the urination would come into play somehow. Like it would be toxic and he would like piss on a um, street thug and it would burn them or something like that. But it was just him just pissing against the wall. I, it didn't have anything to do with anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they were showing you that he, his pee is to- like, you know, I think that's what the point toxic. was. They were showing that it was like, gr- you know, green and toxic. So yeah. Yeah, but it, it didn't have anything to do with the rest of the movie, right? I don't think it, it didn't. Uh, the only uh, significance it has is that this is where uh, Melvin saves a kid from child prostitution. Twelve-year-old girl. She wasn't twelve though, right? I mean, in real life, she looked older. I mean, she wasn't. Nothing happened like in the movie, so she. I mean, I, I doubt she was actually twelve, but she was probably young. But you do see her at the end uh, again mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, in the final scene. So, you know, you realize she has a happy life now because Melvin saved her. Right. Okay, well, that's good. I guess, chronologically speaking, then, um, I think at this, at this point, he, well, a couple of things are happening. I'm not sure in what order. Number one, you're starting to see more toxic sludge appear where he's sort of taken up residence in the dump. So I guess you're getting the idea that they're starting to, to put more toxic sludge in that area, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like, uh, Sarah is now aware of where that location is, and she's also spends time with as much as he spends time with her at her place. She seems to also spend time with him at his place in the garbage dump. Dump. Right <laughs> after after uh, after uh, Melvin returns home, this is when his mother um, runs away in fear of him. Right. Okay. And he moves into the toxic dump, mm-hmm. and Sarah moves in with him. Okay. Uh, shortly after Melvin saves her. From in front of the Tromaville Health Club again, returning to the scene where it all happened. Oh, that's right. And another yeah. group getting of, hit on by all these bikers. Groups, yeah. oh, hit on in air quotes, like another group of men are trying to sexually assault her. Yeah. 
Like, what is this life of hers? <laughs> and then she she opens up a she's back at the garbage dump, and I guess the task Melvin is coming home, and she opens up a book that's called Braille Mirror. Mm-hmm. And this just to me seemed very like a Mel Brooks type of joke because I was like I wanted to see what was inside of it, but it's just Braille, so I'm not sure if it was was it supposed to be like I don't know what, what was that. <laughs> Well, uh, we've established that she's already moved in with him, but uh, the scene that you're talking about, um, right, bef- right before this, this is when he executes. Um, we think he executes Julie, and as I mentioned in one of the outtakes, you see Julie actually live. But for the for the purpose of the film, we'll just say okay. In 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 the film itself, Julie's dead. He mm-hmm. kills her with the scissors. Then he gets his revenge on Bozo and Slug. And, you know, Tara, as you mentioned, uh, he throws Slug out of the car. Slug dies from his injuries. And him, uh, Melvin and, and Bozo end up jumping off the cliff mm-hmm. uh, in the car. Melvin lives. Now, the scary thing about this scene was that it took one take, but the guy performing the stunt almost got killed oh, wow. <laughs> when this scene was shot. So the fact that he survived, he escaped it because what happened is his belt got stuck. So the fact that he was able oh. to remove the belt and leave the door right before it exploded, it's like, wow, that's divine intervention, if you ask me. Jeez. So they wow. really did blow up that car, huh? I yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's like all different kinds of camera tricks. I mean, I guess in the 80s early it wasn't. It's not like it is now, but that's so crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. Now they could get away with doing something like that digitally, but no, yeah, they no, actually blew, they blew up, up this car. car. So after he kills Bozo, this is when we cut into the laundromat or the cleaners where the little person decides, you know, she wants to uh, get stains out of her son's pants, Mm -hmm. which we don't know what they are. No idea. He went out with this girl and then he came back with all these stains on his pants. All these stains. Like, why are those pants? Like, why are there stains on the outside? Like, (laughs) I don't. I don't really understand. I mean, I know what it's supposed to be, but yeah, the stains are kind of weird. I mean, we know what they're supposed to be, but they're on the outside and they're just all over. So I don't, I don't really know what was going on there. Maybe it's not a girl. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, but we, yeah, so we, we think that this little old lady is, you know, innocent, right? I mean, I thought so too. I had no, I thought that she was this, you know, he's, I'm like, why is he killing this, you know, little innocent lady at the laundromat? This is not, this is bad. But we but we find out that he's that she's actually not as innocent as she seems. Yeah, I suspected that it was maybe the mother of Slug or Bozo. Oh, for some reason I was like maybe that she's calling them. Maybe that's not their real names. Maybe this is like Slug's mother or something. And, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, but that's not the case. Yeah, no relation at all. It's just apparently we find out that Mrs. Haskell it was the leader of a white slavery ring. Yes. <laughs> Why is it going to be white? And we find this out after Melvin. Uh, kills her by throwing her in the dryer and setting it to high heat where she's burned alive, you know? Like, you don't see her get burned when it's open and you see her hanging out uh, of the uh, dryer. You realize that she died from burns. But Mm. then he puts her on the press, on the ironing, right? Oh, yes, 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 correct. Yeah. But, you know, of course, the, the one line from this film that, people seem to have a hard time with and you could edit it out if you want to Adam but uh the line that apparently offended people 
was when Melvin said, oh, ha, 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 no ticky, no washing. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw that too. I was like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, that's, I didn't get it. Cause at first I thought I was, maybe she's, maybe she's Asian. And he was saying that because laundry and you know, we, whatever, but. Um, no, it's the stereotype of the Asian of laundry. laundry. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's what it was. That's, that's what, that's what I thought, but I was, maybe she was Asian and he was making fun of her specifically, but no, he was doing like the Chinese laundry thing. But yeah, I did notice that. Yeah, but the the mayor and the cops want to push the narrative because everyone thinks that she was this upstanding citizen. They want to push that narrative because the toxic Avenger Melvin is interfering with their crime business, their drug business. So everyone, they, the sentiment right now is pro monster, and they want to turn it against by saying, "Look, he doesn't just go after evil people; he also goes after innocent people, like this woman who got killed in the laundromat." And they're trying to downplay any relation she had to this international slavery ring. Yeah. Correct. And you can tell Melvin feels an ex- extraordinary amount of guilt that he may have killed someone innocent because mm-hmm. he didn't know that she was the head of a white slavery ring. The only thing that he knew was that the chemicals in his body, which as one of the medical professionals earlier s- stated, the chemicals in his body give him the urge to destroy evil. Okay. okay. All so right. for all he knew, he was killing someone evil, but then after he killed her, he thinks that he may have killed someone innocent, not realizing what she truly was. All right. Cause I was going to say that I, I was, cause at first I said, did he know somehow, or that it's just that he has an instinct to just kill bad. So he just killed her without really knowing, but he just, that's what he does. Okay. So that clears it up. Correct. And it's on until the second film in the series where we find out that those chemicals are called, wait for it, people, traumatons. <laughs> <laughs> How original. Isn't it? <laughs> so this this doctor comes in and explains that he has this urge to kill guilty people, but apparently he it makes him aware of someone's guilt even if he's not consciously aware of it. So I assume maybe he it's able to detect the guilt from emanating from them. Correct. But yeah, I, I don't know. And you said this this trauma doesn't have any room for exposition. Uh, this, this this scientist scene was a bit of exposition-y. <laughs> okay, one case in this film. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, look, you need some exposition sometimes. It's not always bad. Yeah, continuity is where they have their biggest issue. <laughs> I also noticed that when he was walking home through the toxic sludge to his garbage dump was a very prominent book called Six Crises written by... Uh, Nixon, I think. Mm-hmm. That was purposefully put there. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I didn't see that. Where mm-hmm. was this? This was in the uh, scene where he's walking back to the toxic waste dump at night. Um, he walks by a book. It's by his foot. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Lo- Lloyd Kaufman, for all intents and purposes, is a uh, classical liberal in the sense that, you know, he's um, not really one to uh, kowtow to Republican policies. At the same time, he's also not big on what you would call the limousine liberals. And he actually goes more into it in his new film that's actually coming out this year called Shakespeare Shitstorm, where he takes on, sorry, hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm, where he kind of takes on the limousine lipstick liberals and Big Pharma. So, I didn't know, you know he was still making movies. Wow. Well, this may be his last film. He doesn't know yet. Okay. But uh, from what John Brennan from uh, the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs on Shudder, and he's also a producer of the film, he said that if this is his last film, he feels like he's going out on a high note. Okay. So 
for anyone who's listening who lives in the New York City area, there is an April 8th premiere at the Museum of the Moving Image for uh, hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm. So I'm going to be there to uh, cover it for Music is Live podcast. Awesome. I'm looking forward to hearing that. I've been to that museum. I love that museum. It's actually really cool. Oh, it's great. I, I'm dying to take my daughter to see the Muppet exhibit. So, yeah. As I'm talking about the Toxic Avenger. Anyway, so <laughs> moving right along. Um, so, yeah. So, um, what were we discussing at this point? Oh, yeah. The uh, the Nixon book. Yeah. So, he stepped on the Nixon book as well as stepped on a McDonald's styrofoam container. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're seeing the quote unquote toxicity of everything leading up to this point. Mm-hmm. So the mayor and the cops now have used this uh, this murder of this small woman, who everyone thinks is innocent, to turn sentiment against Toxic Avenger and to call the governor to bring in or to help with uh, capturing. Or he, he, The mayor wants to kill the Toxic Avenger, but the governor says, we can capture him. I'm going to give you, I'm going to send in the National Guard. Mm-hmm. Correct. So the National Guard come and... Uh, the Toxic Avenger at this point knows that I think he's being followed or after him and he or he just decides he wants to get away from society because he feels guilty for killing this innocent woman because he thinks that she was innocent. He doesn't realize that he killed her because she was guilty. So he knows his campground and him and Sarah go off to the, live in this campground mm-hmm. and they're followed or they're discovered by um, the cops. The cops. They, uh, like two cops. Yeah. yeah. One of them is his first day on the force. He's like, I'm chasing monsters. It's my first day. And where did a Southerner decide to move to New Jersey to become a cop? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm not. I'm out here catching me chasing monsters, and all I'm doing is getting my fucking ass bitten by mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> his asshole bitten by mosquitoes. He actually said his asshole, like they yeah. were in his butt. It was like that's. <laughs> it made it funnier to me, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just I always find it funny when people talk about things happening to their asshole, even though that's just <laughs> negative space. Like, yeah. as opposed to the actual butt, like yeah. the cheeks, it's not as funny. It's funnier when it's like an actual butthole. Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, assholes are funny. <laughs> Saying asshole is funny. It is, yeah. It's... Oh, potty humor. I love it. So they decided that they're going to go live in this campground, but they're going to live in this, I don't know, eight-foot dome tent, tent <laughs> that's like four feet high. <laughs> That's their new home. Seems reasonable. It's bigger on the inside. That's not their hoop. <laughs> and, she's, and she says that, too. She's like, I wish there was somewhere we could go. And then she's like, oh, you told me about this place and whatever, this campground that's somewhere like outside. I mean, it looked like it was, it did not look like a campground. I mean, it looked it looked like they had found something on the side of the road and stuck a tent there. Because <laughs> you said it was Staten Island. That was Staten Island. Uh, that definitely was Staten <laughs> Island. And there's just no campground at, at all. It did not look anything like a campground. It was just grass and probably by a garbage dump. Because Staten Island. Sorry. That's a that's a that's a park <laughs> in Staten Island. But you know, it <laughs> it was just it just looked funny. So they show up with tanks and cops and guns and army, and uh, the mayor shows up. He's also got a gun, <laughs> and everyone has a gun. Yeah, the whole town really just confronts <laughs> him, mm-hmm. and he gets out. And he tries to tell her to stay inside, but she doesn't. She comes out also. We do have a beautiful scene though, where his mom comes out mm-hmm. and defends him. And once his mom does come out and defend him, then the townspeople come out to defend him as well. Mm-hmm. From the kids to the kid in the ice cream parlor, yeah, to the girl that he saved. So beautiful scene. Um, so they they get they get in the in the line of fire between the army 
and the cops and uh, Melvin. And then one by one, I, he, uh, the Toxic Avenger gives a speech, I think. No, I no, think toxic- he doesn't oh, say sorry, it. No, that's it. He's, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't talk about it. He says, his mom says, if you're going to shoot him, you're going to have to shoot me too. Mm-hmm. And then one by one, the kids and the people of the, you know, that are in that mob are like, yeah, me too. And him, you know, and they start going and, and protecting him. So he doesn't really say anything. He was ready to get killed. You know, he's just like, fine, kill me, whatever. But okay. the, the townspeople come in, in between him and the police. Got it. Okay. So um, then all the armed, all the National Guard and the Army also start putting down their weapons, even though I don't think they know what's going on. Like They have nothing to do with this. They probably came from a different town. And the tank goes, lowers, yeah. Yeah, the tank, like, goes, <laughs> like, drops a foot. Mm-hmm. Um, but the mayor is the only one left. Even the, the police captain, I think, decides, whatever, it's not the right move. But the mayor is still content on shooting him. And then Melvin just goes after the mayor. And I thought he was, I thought in this, he was going to, he chases the mayor and he, the mayor, I think, shoots him a couple of times, right? But doesn't affect he him. He does, mm-hmm. which I didn't understand that the bullets didn't affect him. I guess we didn't see that before, but. It's yeah, just one of his powers, anything. you know? Right? I guess so, yeah. We didn't see that before, but because he is a hideously deformed creature, superhuman size of strength, uh, bullets are, you know, he's impervious to them. It's kind of implied. Right. Um, to, to answer your question, uh, yes, the National Guard and the cops decide to lower their guns. But of course, um, the mayor, the police chief, and the two cronies that he works with, mm-hmm. you know, they still stand beside the mayor. But the only one of them that has the guts to shoot uh, Melvin is the mayor. Okay. So okay. by that being an instant threat to Melvin, this is what causes him to react. Okay, so he goes after the mayor and he corners him. And I thought he was going to be like, oh, you know, my killing days are over. We're going to see you rot in jail or something like that. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet, Adam. (laughs) That would be nice, but that's not what happens. (laughs) No, that mayor sucked. He deserved to die. Okay. And he gets his stomach ripped out or whatever. He gets any, yeah, he gets his stomach ripped out and he gets a pun too. Says, Let's. I know. You, I know you got a gut. I know you got. I know you're fat. Let's see if you got any guts or something like that. Yeah, and he pulls his stomach. Out. Yeah, his exact words were, "You fat slob. Let's see if you have any guts." Yeah. <laughs> then he put, rips into his stomach, pulls his guts out, and the mayor's trying to put his. He's guts putting back it back in. in. <laughs> I like that scene too. He's like, "Oh no! Like that's gonna help." <laughs> he put it back in there. It's fine. It's okay. And he says, "Keys, clean up this toxic waste or something." Right. That's what Melvin says. Yeah. Take care of this toxic Take place. Care, yeah. <laughs> and the National Guard, who decided to let this uh, monster go, just witnessed him murder the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that, too. I'm like, he did just kind of kill the mayor, but mayor was decided bad guy. he's still not a threat for whatever reason. I guess because it's kind of implied that they realized that the mayor was the threat. Right. The mayor was the bad guy. I don't know if I would have gotten that just from that scene. If I was just some National Guard guy who just showed up on the day, I don't know. Oh, well, yeah, the National Guard. But, I mean, the townspeople probably already knew, but I mean, the National Guard, that's true. I was thinking that they're like, I was like, well, they're going to kill him or they're going to arrest him or right. something. I mean, he just yeah. killed the mayor. So whether or not he deserved it is kind of not the point. <laughs> like, he just well, murdered you someone. You kind of see power kind of transfer to the proletariat, meaning the uh, the townspeople that are defending him, because as they stated, he saved them. Right. And the mayor was the one who fired the first shot. And the ice cream kid is the one who lifts, he jerks the mayor's hand up 
And then all of a sudden the mayor yells, touch me again and I'll kill you. Mm -hmm. So by there, he's threatening a kid. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to threaten a kid. That's true. In any film, you're a villain. Yeah, that's true. Um, And, you know, it is interesting that the movie starts off and you think that Bozo and Slug are going to be the antagonists or the villains. But um, it does shift. You know, it sort of levels up and, and you start having the mayor, the cops, um, and just basic cronyism become the, the villain of the, the movie. I was actually thinking that is weird. After I watched it, um, I was I just I was thinking about the movie and I said, you know, where it started was very different from where it ended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it was not the same movie. It was started out with these horrible, horrible kids that were doing terrible things. And you kind of think that's going to be central, but it completely shifts and it's not even about them anymore. I thought that was I thought that was kind of interesting because it's it's almost like it. I just said to myself, you know, I was yeah, the movie just didn't it just ended so differently than it began than it began. Mm-hmm. Right, and th- this is where it shifted from being called Health Club Horror to the Toxic Avenger, mm-hmm. okay. or as it was called in European uh, territories, Atomic Hero. So when Lloyd Kaufman realized, wow, I'm not making a film, uh, a horror film about a health club anymore. I'm making it about this one central character. This is when he decided, okay, let's shift the narrative a little bit. Trauma is notorious for script revisions as the film is going on. (laughs) I was actually going to say, did he, was he writing the movie kind of as he was going? Because wouldn't he have known that the movie wasn't going to be a horror movie about health club? But Mm. obviously he didn't because he started with that idea, but then it kind of shifted to something completely different. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because he ha- he did state in his book all I all I needed to know all I needed to learn about filmmaking I learned from the Toxic Avenger. <laughs> yes, that's his uh, first book. <laughs> um, he did mention that it started out one way, but before it went into production, it went through so many revisions. Then, as the film was being shot, it was still going through re- revisions because he took advantage of certain locations and certain availability of actors that he was kind of able to write that into the narrative. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, the, the, the funny thing about the end of the film, where you're hearing Melvin and Sarah yell, Melvin, yeah. Sarah, Melvin, <laughs> Sarah, that was his homage to Rocky. And why? Because he was a location manager on Rocky. And in his life, this was the only time Lloyd Kaufman ever heard his name at the Oscars, because John G. Avildsen, who I think he was either the director or the producer of Rocky, he thanked Lloyd Kaufman when he accepted his Academy Award. So that was his gratitude to John G. Avildsen was sort oh. of throwing that um, ending scene. Wow. That's the sweet. next big film he worked on after that was Saturday Night Fever. But mm. Cool. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I love Rocky. Uh, I, I still think Network should have won Best Picture in 76, but... Rocky, yeah, I get it. I really like that movie. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, um, and that's The Toxic Avenger. Yeah, I do want to clarify that I, I did say um, that uh, Patrick Kilpatrick was probably the one who got the most work afterward, but there was a cameo in this, apparently. I had to go back and look at the stills, and I don't see the resemblance. I don't either. 
It's not Marissa Tomei. No it's way. It's not a Marissa. Okay, because that's what everyone's saying that Marissa Tomei is in this movie. Where? What part? She the the Toxic Avenger is in the Health Club. She's got like a blue towel on. She comes out of the shower and she screams and runs away. This is yeah. Where this is the reveal to uh, Julie where he calls her a murderer. This is when so when Julie he corners Julie and that that scene where he call corners her in the in in the Health Club. So it's fairly in the beginning ish of the movie. Right? Is that the scene no, you're talking about? There's a girl that comes out of the it's shower. It's the middle to end. And it's yells. the middle to end. Oh, I mean, I remember that scene though, because he's in the he's in the locker room, right? Right. He comes up from the underneath the bench. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know. I, I thought that was like earlier, but that scene. So there's a, there is a girl that comes out of the shower and sees him and screams. Yeah. And he's like, he kind of covers his face. I don't know. He, mm-hmm. he she's putting deodorant on <laughs> or something. She's Correct. like spraying her armpits. Yeah, that's only not Marissa Tomei. Do people Thank think you. that? Okay. There's no I, way. I don't see it either. Yeah, I, I I look at the face. I'm like, there's no way. It's not. It I, can't I, be. I don't think it is either. Um, um, unless she decided to pull a Renee Zellweger and completely change her face, I sincerely doubt that. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Yeah, I didn't I mean, even know that was a thing. I, I, I can't imagine her getting cosmetic surgery that young in life, especially so she had such a unique and you know good look. I just don't see that being, I don't see that being possible. And it's no. just, it's not her. No way. So. That's funny. I didn't know that was a thing that people thought. Yeah. She's, she's starting, they, they say, oh, Marissa Tomei, uncredited first appearance. It's like, no, I don't see it. I don't think so. Okay. So um, I guess we normally do numbers, but I think Terry already mentioned, you know what the budget is on this. Yeah. It's 500,000. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take a guess at what the box office was? Well, I would, but I, I saw it, so okay. I don't want to, yeah, sorry. Because <laughs> I looked at the budget, and literally right underneath it, it said, but I, ha- I just looked it up, and it said the budget was 500000 and I was, th- and I was that's so impressive, you know, wow, that's crazy. And right underneath it, it said what it made, and it was 800000 So they actually didn't lose money on this movie, which is pretty cool, which I'm surprised. I have on good accord that the film actually made trauma $50 million. Wow. With worldwide. Okay. Okay. I mean, with the first box office, are you talking about with to date with DVD sales and licensing and all that? Up until 1998, when I was an intern there, when I was helping with uh, accounting, just doing some numbers for them, um, sale, total total revenue from the first Toxic Avenger film up until that point was 50 million. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. So that was their biggest hit. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was. It, it it must have had several runs in the box office. It must have had you know a toy lines and and there was a cartoon series growing up. I remember it was mm-hmm. uh, um, there was I don't remember. Yeah, that. it was called something different. It was called it wasn't Toxic Crusaders. Toxic Crusaders, yeah. And there was an eleven it. issue comic released by Marvel in ninety one, which I did not know. I did see that there was that it was a comic, and I get they did it obviously after, but I didn't know that. I had no idea that they had made it into a comic. That's pretty. It was pretty cool. So you know. If you are an actor, you're probably kicking yourself that you didn't take uh, a back-end percentage as opposed to upfront salary, because I'm sure Lloyd would have been fine with that, or maybe not. I don't know. Nope. No, okay. <laughs> you got paid your fee, and that was it. Okay. Um, rotten Tomatoes. Care to guess what the Rotten Tomato scores are? Oh, I'm going to guess 67. Are we do Okay. Is that for the critics or for the audience? Yeah, critics. Uh, critics. Okay, it's really hard because this movie is there. It's so, it's it's such a cult favorite, and it's it's so uh, it's just stood the test of time, and people are still watching it and talking about it. So it's kind of hard. I mean, for the critics, I'm gonna say 
Oh, I hate to do this. I don't like to do like half. Like, so I'm going to say, I say 55% for critics. 55. Okay. And audience, I want to say like 65. Okay. So Lou is right on 68% tomato meter for critics. Oh, wow. Uh, and you were very close on audience score, 63% audience score. Okay. So very close. Not much disparity between the the critics and the audience on this. No, there's not. That's actually really interesting. I knew it couldn't have been too bad. You know, like it's people love this movie. And I have, oh, we'll get to that when we do our score, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> I, um, okay. You get me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, let's, let's talk about scores then. We do score on overall enjoyment as well as the cheese factor. I'll go first if that's all right. Go for it. So my overall enjoyment of this movie, I'm going to put fairly low, actually. I'm going to put this at a three for my overall enjoyment. <laughs> oh, on a scale of one to, uh, ten. Uh, one one to, to five ten. or one to, one ten, to ten. ten? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Adam uh, wasn't a fan. <laughs> Um, I know you know what it is. It's I'm not the audience for it. I do appreciate that it that there are people out there who like it, and I think it's good for them. Um, it just wasn't something that I would choose to watch if I had an hour and a half to kill. But cheese, I actually thought this was a very cheesy movie. I'm going to put this on like a nine on the cheese factor. Would you like to go next, Lou? On a scale of one to ten, this film gets an eleven from me. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten for cheese factor, a one million. No. <laughs> ten and ten. Yeah. 10 and 10. Okay. Um, for enjoyment, I'm going to give it like a, a six. I actually did enjoy it. I thought it was definitely cheesy, definitely campy, pretty ridiculous. But I mean, that's what we do here. You know, this is the, this is what we do. We, we watch movies like that and talk about them because there's something endearing about the cheesy, you know, about movies being like this. But I did like it. I actually was... I, at first I was watching, I was like, oh God, what am I doing? Like what am I, <laughs> the next hour and a half is going to be hell. And it went so fast. And I was finding myself, you know, rooting for, for Melvin and getting upset, you know, getting, you know, excited when like bad people are being killed and stuff. So I'm going to have to give it a six and I'm going to go with Adam. I, I think definitely a nine for cheesiness. It's, it's pretty damn cheesy in all the, in the best possible way though. It really is. Yeah. You know, as, as far as enjoyability, like I think a lot of, to me, at least, what makes this movie interesting is the production, right? The low budget, how much production value they were able to squeeze out of it, um, the history, the legacy. But if this movie had none of that, I just don't know. I just, um, standing on its own, I just, I don't, I don't have a big reverence for it. Yeah, fair enough. That's yeah. okay. And that's, it's not for everyone. I think a lot of people, I'm not really a huge fan of trauma films myself, but just in general. I happened to enjoy this one because I thought I just thought Toxie or whatever Melvin is just super adorable. I think he's really cute, and I just think he's sweet and I like him. But um, other trauma films I've seen, I, I can't really even get past get through them. It's too it's too much. Sorry, well, Lou. we don't have to talk about them. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's a very acquired taste. Yeah, you know, you watch a trauma film. You may love it, you may hate it, but you'll never forget it. No, definitely. So. <laughs> That's true. That's why I even said in the beginning, I said, if I had seen this movie, I would definitely remember. You don't forget movies like that. So, Right. Well, I can't thank you guys enough for welcoming me onto this episode of Just a Cheese, please, to talk about one of my favorite films from the 80s. Well, one of my favorite films in general. Uh, I'm just a goofy guy who loves crazy stuff. <laughs> and uh, it, uh, it's very... Um, it's it's very kind of you guys to uh, allow me to come on board and talk to it, uh, talk about it. You know, Tara, I've known you for 
for such a long time. And, you know, you're one of my dearest and nearest. And, you know, thank you, Adam. Very happy that both of you guys are on board with Ratsaw Review Network. And, you know, that you've welcomed me with open arms. Of thank course. you so much. Of course, it's been a pleasure. And we loved having you. And uh, you sort of gave us a little something else that we don't normally do, you know? So that was, it's always fun to sort of branch out a little bit, do a little something different. So awesome. It's been awesome. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to go ahead and plug any of your other stuff that's going on? Sure. Uh, just, uh, you know, check out the Ratsai Review Network over at RatsaiReview.com. Please like and subscribe and comment on our content available on all streaming media platforms and YouTube. And also check out my podcast, the Music is Live podcast uh, over at MusicIsLivePodcast.com. Uh, my newest episode that I'm currently editing, I interviewed John Brennan, who works on The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs on Shudder and was actually an employee of Troma at one point. His first two films being uh, Return to Newcomb High, sorry, Return to Return to Newcomb High, AKA Volume 2, and the new film called Hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm, which is going to make its New York City premiere at the Museum of the Moving Image on April 8th. I will be there to cover it for my podcast, and um, that's really it. Please continue to support Just a Cheese, please, because... Um, Adam and Tara are wonderful, wonderful people, and they do a great podcast. I was a fan of it before they jumped on Ratside Review Network, and I'm really happy that the high supreme muckety muck of Ratside Review, Wayne Noon, was <laughs> kind enough to say, "Hey, why don't you guys jump on board?" So we're one big crazy happy dysfunctional family. Absolutely, here, so. we're we're glad to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful night. All right. Take care now. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye, everyone. Oh, stay fresh, cheese bags. Wait for you to say that. <laughs> <laughs>